Your sensors are correct. Do not adjust your heading. Your heading. You've discovered the Omega Particle. Streaming to the Alpha Quadrant and beyond. 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 Here's your host. The anchorman of the Federation. The doctor of Dilithium. This is Jonathan Wiegand. Welcome to the Omega Particle Podcast. I am your gracious and humble host, Jonathan Wiegand, the doctor of Dilithium today. And before we begin our show, I just want to say happy birthday to the beautiful Gates McFadden. Uh, yesterday, March 2nd, was her uh, birthday. So happy birthday, doctor. And I think can't think of a better birthday gift than that freaking episode, 17 Seconds, that I guess you could say was gifted to us, the whole Star Trek community. And as the title of this podcast review says, this is the one we have finally been waiting for. Good night. I mean, I I feel like I whooped and hollered and like fist pumped so much, I was afraid I was going to wake up my son as he was on his nap. And I just was, oh, was such a good episode. And but before I get into it, before I get into it, and um, before I get into all the, the hooping and the hollering and the really awesome parts of this episode, uh, let me drop a little plug for a very own kind of fan hotline. Now, this won't cost you a bar of latinum. Oh my gosh, Luna, did you write this? This is awful. Just kidding. I'm kidding. It's Luna the intern, everybody. Just kidding. But not really. Anyway, uh, please feel free to leave a text or leave a voicemail to us at the podcast and let us know what you think about this week's episode what do you think about the season uh do you guys like the 17 seconds the high points the low points do you disagree with anything i'm about to say uh do you share in my nerdum and my fanboying uh boining <laughs> fanboying right now please you have to let the alpha quadrant know and that number is 254-677-8735 why did we pick that number, Luna? We picked it because it spells out 254-OPP-TREK, believe it or not. So that number again is 254-677-8735. Now the moment we've all been waiting for. Let's get into the review of 17 seconds. Luna, engage. To begin, I want to kind of give an overview of the episode and what I thought, and to me, it was the kind of one we were always hoping for. Yes, like a clean bathroom on a long road trip, this episode of Picard was met with jubilation and relief. Jeez, Luna, this is the last time I let you write a script. What is this? You went to where? Columbia? Yeah, right. Anyway, <laughs> just kidding, everybody. Um, but seriously, how good was this episode. I kind of makes me believe that we really should have had first two episodes of Picard season three, New Generation and Disengage, really kind of a two-hour premiere because it would have worked so much better than splitting it up. And I mean, you couldn't really say that until we finally like found out about the third week, but good night. It would just fit perfectly. I mean, you have Worf cameo at the, right at the end. We find out Picard is Jack's father as well. And it... I, I, Last week's episode was such like just ran flat to me 
And it would have just really riled up the fan base to have that like Wharf cameo right at the conclusion of that two-parter. So I really believe that they should have just led with that. And man, how good would the season be if this was our like second introduction to season Again, I just want to preference this. I have not read or double-checked with any other source or outlet or any other podcast. This is 100% OPP review, so there's no like regurgitation. And I feel like that's a kind of an issue in the Star Trek community. We just kind of regurgitate, so we, we find our podcasts and our echo chambers that we like and be like, this is the, the reviews I like, and yeah, it sucked, or yeah, it was awesome, there's nothing wrong with it, 10 out of 10, or oh, it was awful. So it's like... I just like to give what I think about the episode, a lifelong Trekkie. So that's just my intro. And I mean, we'll get to some of the overall themes of the episode that I really enjoyed, plus some Easter eggs and some theories that we didn't really have last week. So before we wrap up the episode, to start off, let's kind of get into a deep, deep dive of 17 seconds. Fun will now commence. So I think this episode really compensates and offsets the slow pace and the kind of terrible pacing from the two first two parts of the Picard season three. And I mean, plus we had these awesome like battle sequences this episode, and we had these super emotional dialogues, which we will cover. And may, I mean, those were just super hard hitting. And I mean, we finally have these long awaited character arts and finally get some like answers to the questions. And I felt like a fan of loss for a little bit. I'm like, when are we going to start seeing these people? When will Beverly talk? <laughs> I mean, it just doesn't get any better to me than seeing Beverly and John Luke and that and that heart-to-heart conversation and them going at it, going toe-to-toe. And plus, we finally kind of get to see a better demonstration of that portal technology. And the and finally, finally, the Rafi storyline connects to the rest of the TNG crew. And to me, it finally got some... DS9 love. We we have an enemy from DS9. A terror rogue uh, faction of the founders are out there. I just think like we saw Worf be the Worfiest Worf he could be. Uh, showed off his in, like intense fighting skills, but he still like has the chamomile tea. So it's that perfect Michael Dorn like charm. He can just play it. I just feel like this is the one we've been waiting for. And I've said that over again. I, I won't say it anymore, <laughs> but I, that's my honest opinion. And even though, like when if you just saw it from the outset and you would say, okay, we have these awesome visuals and action scenes that are just impeccably crafted and just stunning. To me, it's the emotional moments, man. These intense discussions, quote unquote, big talks that we see in this episode that leave the most significant impact to me and that those moments resonate probably more with the viewers and stay with them longer more than these action scenes will and probably is what's going to be remembered about this episode in the trek history is are these confrontations and on these character arcs that we're finally seeing some fruit on again we have the another cliffhanger because it's you know streaming tv and the USS Titan is caught in a gravity well and it's on the brink of destruction. And But even still, our characters in the show look hopeless. To me, Picard as a whole has never felt more kind of purposeful in its storytelling and more assured in its storytelling. And I mean, the narrative is hyper-focused and the direction is just, again, it's just confident. And we kind of 
haven't had that, you know, and especially season two and in season one, we really haven't had that confidence and hyper focus of direction. So this is just leaving me with utter nerd excitement and anticipation for episode four, episode five, because it's just, oh man, it was just good track. It's really hard to say it outside of those parameters. You know, I will give this episode a 9.5 out of 10. To me, it was impeccable. I almost went 10 out of 10, but I was like, I don't like to go perfect scores ever. So 9.5 out of 10. I think the first episode, Luna, we did like 6.5 or something like that. So it's been, it's definitely shot up. So I, I can't really complain at all. And I don't think anybody can with, with this week's episode. I think it, it appeased all of the Trek people. All the aisles of the fandom were cheering and giddy with joy like we all were wherever we watched, you know. So moving on from like the overall review, we're going to talk about some themes and some major high points. And of course, we can't talk about that without talking about Worf, Mr. Wolf, as Loxana Troy says. I just love how these writers, and maybe this was a plan all along. Maybe this was their goat. You know, they were going to get us. Is it because the weakest part of the show so far, the Rafi storyline, is now the storyline that I'm intensely about? And it has nothing to do with Rafi. It's all about with Worf. Worf has decided to come along for the, for the ride. I mean, it's just like Gates McFadden. I mean, Worf has melted back into the role. I mean, even his freaking introduction, maybe just go, oh, giggle with nerdum. I mean, he's got Rojenko in there. He's got Martok. I mean, it's, I was just thinking about it. It just makes me smile. It was perfect. Like, and it was the ultimate kind of like warmth and respect with these legacy characters that sometimes you don't really get in terrible reboots. I mean, Obi-Wan, anybody on Disney Plus, can we say that? But, <laughs> and I mean, this show made me kind of, and I was talking to Luna and some other friends, maybe really think Car- like Worf might be one of my favorite characters now in Star Trek. I mean, he just, I mean, well, it's for another day, another day. Another thing, and I can't, this is my uh, nerdum, well, technically, of the week, is that aren't Klingons like supposed to age a little bit more slowly than humans, right? Like, I feel like maybe they made Worf a silver fox just to make it a little easier to show the passage of time and all that. But I don't know. Like I said, that's my, well, actually, for the week. <laughs> that's not, I don't know, Louie. It's not a segment. It's just, whatever. And again, I just, I mean, the care they're taking with these legacy characters is awesome to see. And we see a little bit more into Worf since Nemesis. And now he's a good old 1099 subcontractor for Starfleet. He's... He's on his own time. He's making his own hours. And I mean, the line of I'm working on myself is just, again, brilliantly delivered by Michael Dorn. Yeah, I was overwhelmed. It was so great to see him back and, again, didn't miss a beat. And speaking of Worf, we can discuss a na- just a major kind of plot twist and reveal for the show. And that's freaking changelings. Oh, like, they're back, baby. DS9, finally finally get some love in the star trek world like i am i literally like hooped and hollered when Worf is like how long has it been since you returned to the great link i mean i've just been i just went over the moon i was like oh my gosh 
And I mean, okay, but before that, I'm getting excited. So I'm, I'm trying to stay with, with what I want to talk about here. So I definitely love, 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 if you could not tell, the storyline that directly relates to the Dominion War and the end of DS9 and, I mean, Odo returning to the Great Link. I love how they gave us some of the breadcrumbs, too, during Jack's fight scene with the sabotage leak and all that. Because when he like punches the guy in the face and his like face kind of morphs and changes, I'm like, oh my gosh, that's like a changeling. And I said that out loud, but I was like, in Star Trek, you never know. And again, with kind of the attitude towards DS9, I really didn't expect this whole major influx of plot. So I am beyond excited. And again, I feel like the big Trek shows have just really ignored or don't mention DS9 at all. I mean, if... The Dominion War was this impactful hinge moment in in Federation history. You think they would talk about it or name drop it just every now and then, you know? I mean, if I had a dollar for every time somebody like blamed the Romulans and not the Dominion of the Changelings, I would be a very rich man. So DS9 fans, we can finally rejoice. And I'm sure we're all about to get a bunch of texts from our Trek friends who only watch TNG. (laughs) I know that's going to happen. And, I mean, we still don't know who Vedic is yet either. Um, I have a theory. We'll get that to the end of the episode. So we've talked about Worf, and now we're going to be talking. We talked about the Changelings. And now let's talk about these big emotional kind of character arcs that we talked about before. And the first one, of course, being Crusher versus Picard. I want to start off saying I think Picard has every right to be mad. I think he has every right to be pissed. Um, the decision was not his, and he had no say in the matter, which would be devastating to anyone. And I think Picard would have been an excellent, excellent father. Plus, I think it was kind of a low blow for Crusher to bring up past fears and worries from John Luke and his father's relationship. I mean, as someone with who doesn't have a contact relationship with their father, I understand the hesitation and fear of turning out to be like your father. But, I mean, again, the writing is just so impeccably good. Patrick Stewart delivers the line, I would have never been my father and would have learned that 20 years before. I mean, that is laying the proverbial verbal wood on Crusher, which I do understand his anger in that moment, but I do agree with Crusher in a way, and I think her intentions are perfectly pure. When Beverly goes through the events of Picard, almost getting killed in the weeks that followed, her knowing she was pregnant, I mean, that is like damning evidence. And it really enforces her case. Um, emotionally, it's it super checks out too, logically. She was just rightfully worried because the universe always called and John Luke always answers. And to me... It would have been hard to say, hey, I'm pregnant. By the way, you're going to give up everything. Because he might not have given up everything. And then maybe there, there was some rejection in there that she didn't want to face. And the notion that she was protecting her son from, again, another great line, Picard-sized enemies, perfectly explains why she had to cut off contact to the TNG crew for 20-plus years. I mean, if anybody found out, he'd easily get back to Picard, and the threat is, I mean, is all over there again, and Jack does have a 
quote unquote target on his back, like Crusher said. And now that the cat is out of the bag, he's definitely going to be talk of the town. I, I will say this, this be devil's advocate. And I know it's a show. I think if you were like afraid for your son's life, you wouldn't make him this like renegade medical Indiana Jones. I mean, I don't know. I mean, the plot checks out very good writing to me. I don't know. It's just something to think about. Just something to think about. But he's following in his mother's footsteps, so it checks out. It checks out. But there is really one great line that kind of encapsulate this whole character arc between the two of them, and that is when John Luke delivers the haymaker of, you made the choice for me. You can't condemn people before the fact. That is absolutely true, and it's super sad that she didn't tell him but again, not a surprise that, he, that that Jack Crusher doesn't want anything to do with Picard either. I mean, John Luke calls the relationship irreputable. Ouch. They probably, I feel like in the future couple episodes, may learn more about each other. And he may say, hey, you know, I wanted to be there. If I knew about you, I would have totally, you know, been a good father to you, etc. Hopefully we'll get that. Okay, so moving on to the other big emotional arc and something I really loved is Picard versus Riker. And so in this promotional material, we heard over and over and over again, they were like, hey, these people are different. This was 20 years has passed, people change. And I I will say this, we did get some pretty freaking sweet moments, you know, between the two of them, like uh, when John Luke looks back, it's like, you'll have to call me number one. I was like, oh, (laughs) It's just, again, the writers know what they're doing with treating, with the nostalgia. It's been great. The episode, to me, will be remembered for Riker really laying down and exercising his authority. So the great debate of should the Titan fight or make a run for it, I mean, that's a very worthy debate. I'm sure even the audience was probably split. But I have to admit, I didn't really like Picard in this whole scenario. Um, He was constantly undermining Riker on the bridge and openly questioning his decisions at every turn. And he was doing this in front of the bridge crew in a time where you really don't want that. I mean, Riker just took command when Shaw got injured. So these people might have heard of him, might have served with him, could have maybe so. Like, it's really hard to tell. So some it's safe to say a majority of these people have no idea who this man is. Maybe he's a legend. But that's it. And so now he's arguing with this other old legend and who's going to, I mean, it's it's awkward to say the least. And you're about to die. That's the last thing you want to see. You want to see this united front of leadership. And I mean, even Riker constantly does this to Picard through the episode. He goes, I'm the captain and I'm in command. So it's just kind of, you see this boiling going on in the background, kind of like a pot of Earl Grey tea, you could say. It's just brewing, and we see the tension building and collecting between the two all the episode, you know, while they're on the bridge. And it finally comes to an head when, you know, Riker finally listens to Picard, and they pay dearly from it. And the line, remove yourself from the bridge, you just killed us all, is, I mean, Riker's having an outburst of emotions right there, but he would have never talked to Picard that way, ever, 20 years ago. If you go back and watch even season seven of TNG, Picard wouldn't have taken that for a second. So the fact that you can see the relationships have changed 
and that the people have changed is really great. And I feel like they were really, again, enforcing that in a subtle way and not beating us over the head with it. And I mean, I, I completely understand. I mean, we can speculate, as I'm sure you guys have heard, that Riker and Troy are having kind of made some marital issues, and that's why he's kind of going out. And so he's now falling into this uh, gravity well, so he's not going to be able to reconcile with Troy. He's never going to see his daughter again, so he's pissed. And I think Picard should have realized, hey, Riker's in command, and him respect that. But oftentimes, you know, that mentor relationship, it's a difficult relationship. I think they're going to patch it up pretty quickly. And I think Picard's going to apologize. That's my theory for next week. He's going to, they're going to solve the problem. And then Picard's going to be like, look, I was wrong. Well, hopefully they'll do that. You never know, though. So moving on, this is one of my favorite episodes of Star Trek. And one of the reasons why is the central theme that I'm about to talk about. And that's fatherhood. Fatherhood, motherhood, what it means to be a parent. So I'm not being exclusive, just what it means to be a parent. So 17 seconds, as you guys remember, comes from the 17 second turbo lift that Riker had to take from the bridge to sickbay because Thad was being born and there was complications and he might have lost Troy, he might have lost Thad. And in that moment, you become a father. And I think every parent has that in some way, shape or form, but it's different for everyone, of course. And there's even the old line of, Women become mothers over the nine months, caring, growing the child, while men become fathers the moment they see their child. And I think there's some truth to that, um, you know, and, but that's mine. You know, that's my experience, quote, unquote, my truth. But I know there's a million different others like stories and experiences and parental uh, experiences. So don't take any offense. I'm not any exclusion here in any way, shape or form. I'm just saying, like, to me, that's. I really love the touching warm moments and talking about how the greatest challenge is fatherhood. You know, I mean, I would tend to agree with that. I've done some wild stuff. I've climbed mountains. I've run marathons. I've two undergraduate degrees at the same time. But there's nothing like that three foot human boy that is the most difficult thing I've done, but is the most rewarding thing as well. But I will say, I have had a clean poop off a lot of things more than any time in my life. So be prepared for that. Um, and to me, it's just like these emotional connections that Picard is is presenting us with and is showing us to the audience. I mean, that's what's going to leave an impact. And I mean, even me talking about it, I was like, yeah, this was really great. As for me, it kind of reminded me of some of the complications, you know, being a father, you know, like I'd burn the world to protect them and do whatever I can to provide, as Riker says in the bar. And I mean, it's a simple line, but it's heavy because it's true. And I'm sure there's it resonates with a lot of people. I mean, even getting to the other fatherhood, talking about when Riker and Jack are in the hallway. I mean, that was peak Riker to me. He was peak like, you know, dad Riker. And he was loved, like, giving him advice and be like, hey, you need to let these people know you're worth it and their sacrifice is going to be worth it. I mean, that was such good, gentle leadership that a father would give and that Jack hasn't had. So that was an awesome, like, connection there as well. And, um, again, this fatherhood theme has made it probably one of my favorite Star Trek episodes. So um, let me know your thoughts. And if I'm way off base or being too mushy, that's fine. So moving on, we're going to get into some theories. I have two theories here before we get into the Easter eggs. And the first one is, so 
we know who the main like villains probably will be. It's probably going to be, you know, the changelings and the dominion. Cause I don't feel like they would bring out that huge, you know, monumental shift in track and then be like, Oh, they're just like a false flag. It's not really real. We learn that this portal technology has kind of been a ruse. And we know from all like the promos, we know that Brent Spiner is coming back as lore. So did the founders steal lore from the Dame, like Daystrom Institute? I don't know. I think that would be a very easy way to connect the dots with him. Uh, are they going to like, you know, create a super soldier instead of the Jem Hadar and the, and the white, they have these super soldiers from the sons of Sue. I, I don't know who knows, but it would, I wouldn't be surprised to see lore come into the picture sometime soon. So that's my theory. I think that they stole lore. There even could be a, like a possibility that they could have stole something even worse than lore and could have like stolen, you know, parts of data and his brain. And they're like, okay, they're going to make their own <laughs> the super soldiers. And it kind of t- ties back to the Picard season one. And so they kind of have to rebuild lore and kind of the end of my enemy of my enemy is, is that whole package. Who knows? But I definitely think lore is going to play a monumental part either as being used by the villain or as being kind of this, uh, friend of my enemy is my friend type of thing. I don't know. We'll see. Um, I will say this, my, this other theory is completely off the grid, (laughs) but there might be something there, but I I just had to share right now. The big question is who is Vedic? Who is this cigar, uh, smoking, you know, traditional Trek villain. And I mean, maybe she's a changeling or maybe she's like a former enemy of the Federation. We know that there are bounty hunters, um, there's, it's hard to say, but if you go back and watch, uh, there's a two episode arc of the next generation in season seven. And the two episodes are called Gambit, Gambit one and Gambit two. I will just say the ship from Gambit looks awfully familiar in some ways to Vedic ship, just putting that out there. And I mean, the villains from the Gambit arc were bounty hunters that Picard had to infiltrate and Riker, <gasps> infiltrated as well and played the part so they were looking for some vulcan weapon that would um destroy people with their minds but either way the ship looks similar uh, similar enough that it raises an eyebrow and the job description matches they're all bounty hunters it could be there i'm just saying it could happen Loda. who knows um okay so uh getting to some easter eggs i will say this uh the very first one we see that seven is still has a soft spot for Voyager. So Seven is sitting in her quarters, and real quick, we see that she has a model of the USS Voyager sitting there. Clearly, to me, it kind of just reinforces in a very quick, subtle way. Seven's time on Voyager was, you know, very special to her. She loves it. She wants to be reminded of it. And basically, probably is the reason she's in Starfleet today. So I just, it was a sweet little moment. Um, Also, another one is Beverly, um, when she was talking to Jean-Luc Picard, kind of going at it about like, you know, Jack's birth and her self-imposed isolation from the crew. She just kind of mentioned several planet. And the one that kind of like stuck out was Casperia Prime. And that's when she was like, hey, we went for the waterfalls. That's where, you know, we conceived Jack. And then we never saw each other again. 
That actually isn't the first time it's been mentioned in Star Trek. The planet was first mentioned in DS9 episode Change of Heart, and it's where Jadzia wanted to have her honeymoon with Worf. So, kind of full circle, but it's maybe a tip of the cap to DS9 and Worf already. Another big Voyager Easter egg that we see is uh, the gas, Viterium. So, Seven and Jack, if you remember, had to figure out that Vatic is able to like track the Titan because the ship is leaking Viterium. And it's not, again, not the first time we've seen this in Star Trek. This, the substance was first introduced in the Voyager episode, Investigations, where we learned it was used specifically to like insulate the warp coils of Intrepid-class ships. However, the best Easter egg, probably of the whole season, was when Worf mentions Odo. But he doesn't mention him by name. So Worf makes it really clear that the Changelings that are sabotaging, trying to steal all this portal weapons, stealing a greater weapon. They're not directly affiliated with most of the other founders and have broken away from the Great Link. We're told that Worf uh, got this message from a quote-unquote close friend who is a quote-unquote man of honor. And I mean, that's that can only be one, the one and only Odo, man. That's the promenade security. That's it. And so if, if you don't know and haven't watched DS9, Odo and Worf, they obviously served with each other throughout Deep Space Nine because Worf came on the show. I think it was season four came on the show. But so it's really cool that they put that Easter egg in there for us because in our world, um, the actor who plays Odo, Rene Abrajanis, sadly passed away in 2019. But Worf's comments in this episode of Picard you know, indicate that Odo's alive in the 25th century, which makes sense because founders don't die. And he's still looking out for his friends, even if he's in the Great Link. It's, it was a nice touch of the writers to be for Renee and for, you know, all the uh, Odo fans out there. So I thought that was really cool. Well, Luna, that has been our review of 17 Seconds. All right, let's wrap it up. Thank you so much for listening. And remember to call 254-677-8735. And you might just get on the podcast. Uh, we'd love to hear from you guys. And I appreciate all the DMs and the messages you sent. It's It's been great communicating, kind of sharing our love of Picard as we go through it. Also, if you guys have some free time and want to check out these awesome reviews, go to www.jasontalksmovies.wordpress.com. Uh, He has new reviews coming out, especially with Mandalorian starting up again. So please check out his uh, blog and reviews. It's always great stuff and a longtime friend of the podcast. Uh, It's starting to get warmer, guys. So just remember to keep that mental health in check. Talk to friends. Get out. Take a walk. It does help, (laughs) Uh, especially working from home. Sometimes it's easy to get, you know, cooped up inside. So Uh, Don't be afraid to get out there and uh, see some sunshine. Now it's starting to get a little bit warmer. But as always, second star at the right. Straight on. Till morning.